Hey guys, welcome back to Bodies in the Bayous, Season 1, The Texas Killing Fields, Episode 7. Today we will be talking about Mildred, Joanne Knighton, and Kimberly Pitchford. As we were going into our episode today, we keep going back to what is it about this area that makes so many women go missing and end up murdered. When we start to think we have it figured out, could it be one person, could it be multiple people, or are there still just serial killers lurking in the shadows? You know, it's funny. I was listening to um, another podcast the other day, and they were actually talking about, like, murder clusters. And they actually talked about this area as having a murder cluster during this time. And, you know, I was thinking about that. You know, was this just one one big murder cluster that happened or you know do we have several several different things at play and and when i look at this i really feel like we've got lots of different activity going on in this area you know because you try to tie some of these cases together and and i don't know that you can you can't you can't take every single case that we find and say that's it they all are connected. Right. Murder cluster. I mean, so what, I mean, like, what did they, what is the definition of that? Just like activity or like, um, profiles? Like, I think it's like the, it's activity, but it, when they were talking about it, it seemed to deal with areas where you had a large amount of unsolved cases, okay. you know, and, and that, that definitely describes this area that we're talking about in the Texas killing fields, you know, this area between I 45 all the way down to Galveston, the highway six, all the way up to Houston, you know, that kind of triangle area and the little outline bits of it that it grabs there. That's what we really define as, as the Texas killing fields. And from, you know, the early 70s on up into the early 2000s, we we have a lot of activity there. Right. I mean, murder cluster would be a good way to explain, mm-hmm. you know, that with the activity um, that's going on but <laughs> with I, these girls. Yeah, but I don't know that you can can link all of them together, but I also don't know that you can have to, that you can completely rule that out. You know, we we really felt like, you know, when we finished off um, the 1971 victims, that there was a good good possibility of a suspect there. We're going to, in this next um, couple of episodes, we're going to play with another possibility of, of another suspect there. You know, I just don't know, you know. Um, I think some of them, though, you have to look at and say there's there may be they may be somebody who they knew, you know, um, it's, it's a possibility that you have very stressed police forces without a whole lot of, you know, money, technology, you know, ways to solve these crimes. And so you have, have a large amount of, of killing going on. Well, sure. Definitely 50 years ago, they did not have the resources that we grew up knowing about. Right. I mean, they just didn't. And, you know, their training probably happened 10, 15 years prior to this. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, it was probably a little outdated, but there wasn't really 
anything to grasp from. No, there. you can't ping cell phone towers right. and look for people in that area. DNA technology is not happening. You don't have CODIS, which is a database of DNA. You have fingerprint. Um, you have a fingerprint database, but I don't, that database was being, um, they were using that like visually, you know, so right. like you were comparing you fingerprint, with the little, yeah, you were comparing fingerprint cards, you know, it wasn't like you weren't plugging it into a computer and having all of a sudden, you know, something spit out and say, okay, this is who this fingerprint belongs to. And, and you know, they didn't have the cameras that you see on stoplights and, you know, surveillance cameras outside of, you know, different businesses. I mean, that just right. wasn't, that wasn't around then. Yeah, because I mean, nowadays, you know, to think of um, some of this happening, like with these, with, you know, these high school students going missing, you know, now there's, there's probably a camera in those parking lots. Oh, more than one. Sure. You know, and then cameras <laughs> in the nearby businesses, you know, I mean, there's a camera probably at the light to turn into the parking lot, a camera in the parking lot, a camera at the front door, you know, so as soon as they're on property, you yeah. you're being surveillanced, uh -huh. you know? I mean, I, for one, I'm always like, oh, you can surveillance me all you want to, because if something happens to me, at least I'll be on surveillance, right. right? So, I mean, that's that safety that I always have felt. Yeah, we see surveillance cameras and grocery stores and all sorts of things. And so, you know, police are able to go to different locations and pull those cameras and pull that footage and be like, okay, here was somebody buying a shovel, you know, and, and you didn't have that back then. You know, really, you had very... I mean, you had good detective work, but it's it's on the ground, like going out and talking to people and being like, what did you see? And, you know, um, trying to track down, you know, eyewitnesses and, and eyewitness testimony is not the greatest. You know, we've discovered that, in, you know, in the in the years since then, but trying to get these little bits of pieces of information. Did she get into a car? Did she call a friend? Did she, you know, um, go with somebody else? You know, and it's just it's difficult. Absolutely. You know, and I think one of the other difficulties that, that I'm kind of having is on some of these victims, just getting any information, you know, you get this blurb in a paper that comes out and says, you know, this happened and you're like, okay, great. You know, I need to find out more. So looking at the next, um, newspaper the next day and you know we're finding that the next day's newspaper you know that's online doesn't have the front page and so you're thinking okay did i miss something did i not miss something you know you're doing a bunch of internet searches and trying to find more information and it's just for some of them there's very little and they were covered very right. little so yes. they might have been covered for one or two days um and then that's it. That's it. And I think the, the next one that we're going to talk about, which is Mildred, Joanne Knighton, that's, that's what, you know, I had trouble with, you know, the first time that I find out that there's this victim was in an article about our next victim that we talked about, which is Kimberly Pitchford. They mentioned that there was an earlier one, but I didn't have a name. I didn't have any information. So trying to search and track down that information it's, it's so hard to find. And you would think that it would be just right there, that there would be a web page and, and, you know, a request for information. And, you know, this is what, you know, that she'd be on some sort of 
page that says, you know, law enforcement's requesting information. And I can find any of that. And that's really sad. When, mm-hmm. when we start talking about Mildred and her, her story is very sad. So I think, you know, we're going to lead on into that. So Mildred Joanne Knighton was a 15-year-old high school student who left her home in Pasadena on the evening of October 20th, 1972. So Mildred Joanne Knighton is her full name. Um, We're seeming to find other places where she went by the name Joanne. So Joanne left her um, apartment to go visit her sister in LaPorte. Um, She left in a car with an unidentified friend. Her body was found a few days later in an industrial area off Texas 225, which would have been in Galveston County, but we're thinking not on Galveston Island. Um, She was found several days after she had been killed. It was her brother and sister who saw the news asking for additional information on a body that was found. They saw the necklace on the news and identified that as Joanne's. And then later they were called to the police station to identify the, the remains. She had been stabbed 61 times in the back, nine times in the face, and her throat was slashed. She was almost decapitated. The only item of clothing that she was wearing was a brown corduroy shirt. Wow. To me, that sounds like a personal cause homicide. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of rage if you're going to stab somebody that many times. There's a, there's a lot of rage. Um, but again, you know, although I I definitely go toward that inclination to say that somebody who is going to stab you that many times probably knew you, but I don't know that we can 100% say that because if, if, if you were trying to get away from somebody who had kidnapped you or maybe you hurt them in trying to get away from them, there is a possibility that maybe somebody had that much rage. You know, I, I know it's a, it's a stretch that usually they say if, if you have that much going on, that it's going to be somebody that they knew. The one thing that gets me here I mean, is, I mean, it, it's possible it could be a stalker type personality too. Sure. You know, cause they do have that kind of like built up rage of like, how can you not notice me? And you mm-hmm. know, that admiring from afar and and this is one of those cases that literally I could find so little about the first um that I find it was actually in an article that's talking about the death of Kimberly Pitchford because they went to the same high school or because they both went to a high uh, a Pasadena high school I'm not exactly sure that it was the exact same high school but it seems to be in close proximity so it's possible that they went to the same high school um but so I, she's mentioned in that, but not by name. It just says that there was another Pasadena high school student who was stabbed 61 times. And that's where, you know, I came to you and I said, there's this other high school student who's stabbed. And you're like, 
who is she? Is she on our list? And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know her name. I, I have no information. And we've had her as kind of a question mark for weeks now. And it has, tra- it has taken that long to finally track down her name and any more information about her. And it's been difficult. You know, I can't, I know that her case is unsolved. The reason that I can have finally found out that her case is unsolved is that I've managed on a website that is for unsolved cases, which is a web sleuthing type website. And there's a family member who's talking about her. And then there are friends who come in and say, you know, we were friends with her and, and they give more information. So, so the little bit of information that I managed to gather from that website is that in August, she was living in a house in Pasadena on uh, Grove Street that her parents and her moved to an apartment complex that was off of Highway 3 and that she changed schools. So she would have started a new school and had been there from August till October. Um, That the friends are like, you know, it may not have been that strange that her parents say she left in a, in a vehicle of a friend and they didn't know who that friend was because she was so new at school. Maybe they hadn't met all of her friends at the time. And so that might be a little bit of what was going on. I can find no information to say that the person who was driving that vehicle was ever identified. Mm -hmm. They didn't come forward. Which makes you think that the person who was driving that vehicle is the person who killed her. Um, oh gosh. So then you have to say this person was known to Joanne. Well, sure. I mean, she got in the car that we know of, uh-huh. right? And this person has that much range I don't against know. her. I mean, <laughs> to be nearly decapitated. Right. Right, nearly decapitated. Stabbed in your face. Mm-hmm. And stabbed that many times. That's almost unbelievable. And her family, the family of this young woman is still looking Searching. for answers. And it's her niece who is looking for answers. And her niece is my age. You know, and has, has grown up her whole entire life without any answers to what happened to an aunt that she never met. And so I would, I would put it out there to anybody who knew her, anybody who may have known other people that she went to high school with, because the friends that I have seen the posts that are writing are friends from what it appears would have been her high school when she lived on Grove Street. Mm-hmm. Or grew up with. Right. And yeah. so the question that we would have out there, yeah, because they say she was a fun, you know, great kid that... The, that there were about 10 or 15 girls that would hang out together that Alameda mall had just um, opened. And so they were known that was their new playground. They would go out there to Alameda mall and kind of hang out as friends. Um, and so I'm just kind of put it out there to anybody who knows of people who went to high school with her prior to this or people who went to high school, if she moved to a new high school, people who went to high school with her then, if you weren't asked back in 1972 about her, now's the time to come forward and bring this family some answers. Who was she hanging out with? You know, and one of the things that 
that I think is a possibility is that, so she's 15 years old. She's living in an apartment complex. She's used to running around with friends at, you know, in her neighborhood. So I think she would run around with friends in the apartment complex. Possibly. I mean, you're talking high school. So, I mean, maybe not so much of the playing around outside and, you know, all that, but definitely hanging out at the mall and movies Mm -hmm. or whatnot. Absolutely. But it could be somebody that she might be social, you know, could this be somebody she met at that apartment complex? So, you know, it'd be, it'd be good to know anybody who might've lived at the same apartment complex at the time that this happened. Were there things going on there? Suspicions to, you know, people who, might have been hanging around with a 15 year old who shouldn't have been. Yeah. Or I mean, were there any other crimes that maybe involved uh, knives or, you know, random stabbings or, you know, cause that happens sometimes when people get angry, I guess, you yeah. know, I mean, I, I don't know, but they might have articles too that they've had from when it was published that mm-hmm. they could come forward with as well. So for me, I would just like to see if there are some answers out there. I do think that this is one of those cases that you look at, that you think to yourself, does this does this case fit in with some of the other cases that we're talking about? It's very different. It's very different. So, but at the same time, this it's case, still in the same area. Again, it's, it's that cluster. Yeah. And I mean, as we move forward, we'll see some more of that. This case is in the same area. There are other cases, although the stabbing in this case is is unusual. You know, we we haven't certainly in 71, we haven't seen that. I mean, you, know? you stabbed somebody 61 times. Right. That was your first time? Yeah, I mean, was it your last time? I mean, that's a lot to wrap your head around. It is. It's so brutal. It's so brutal. And then the other thing that you have to say is, where? Where do you stab somebody 61 times? Because she's found in an industrial area, kind of like tossed, tossed out, right? You know, she's found by a trucker who's who's del- making a delivery, you know, who happens to notice her. So she's she's really just discarded in that area. She's not hidden. She's not buried. Um, she's she is near a ditch. She is well near kind of a bayou. Um, but as far as I know, she was not in it. So um, but. It's still a secluded area for sure. Sure. It's a secluded area. But did you go into that secluded area and stab her right there? Because the police don't talk about finding any evidence of of that. There'd be a lot of blood. Mm -hmm. There'd be an incredible amount of blood. How would that be overlooked? Okay. So, again, if that's not, then the other other option that I see here is in the car. That's what I was thinking right off the bat. Honestly, but I mean, what do you do with a car with that much blood? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, you would burn that, I would think. Or, I mean, and what, did you, what would you do with that? I mean, she would totally have bled out. Oh, yeah. I mean, you're talking. 
Yes. Completely. So, so because it, 61 stab wounds, then the slashes to the neck, which almost decapitate her, and the, the stab wounds to the face. I mean, this is... So you have to obviously one but probably multiple of these stab wounds were fatal and you never got i mean and i would think this person had some kind of injury well and then that's the last part of this too that i think is so important so you have somebody who stabbed 61 times the only article of clothing that they're wearing is the corduroy shirt So that would be the evidence that the police would have unless, you know, there were fingernail scrapings, those type of possibilities. But I guess what what I think is important here is this has to be a case that you know, the family has reached out to Pasadena. You know, we, we get that through the, um, through a webpage, you know, um, there's information out there that, you know, we've contacted Pasadena to ask for an open case record. This isn't Pasadena's case. Right. So, um, and that's, that's the hard thing. So when we, when we knew that it wasn't Pasadena's case and we weren't going to get any information out of Pasadena, it's not Galveston police case. So you have to ask yourself, is it Galveston Sheriff's department case? If it's not Galveston Sheriff's Department case, then it's got to fall within city limits of somewhere else. And I'm thinking that it falls close to LaPorte. You know, we've tried to figure out a little bit of where the industrial area is. I mean, again, we're just guessing. But, you know, we've we followed that road down a little bit on the maps and tried to figure out. And we're thinking that maybe outside of LaPorte, but still like maybe in Seabrook, Seabrook area. Yeah. Um, toward the port is what Seabrook would have been a tiny police department. Well, certainly, certainly. I mean, they're probably a little annex. I mean, there's probably still is. So the best that we can do for right now is that we're going to continue to try to like, look for who possibly has this case, you know, who is in charge of this case being an open case. Um, is there any possibility that we can get any more information? And is there the possibility that DNA could be looked at in this case? Because to me, with that much blood, that much stabbing, you had to have done injury to yourself. You would have to, I would think. I mean, that poor girl girl didn't stand a chance. Right. I mean, if they were to come back and say there was nothing under her nails, it would not surprise me personally because... She's probably down and out. Right. But still. One or two. I mean, the fact that and you, she's stabbing her back. Right. So she may not have even seen it yeah. coming. And, but then directly in her face. Yeah, but that could have been. Mm-hmm. But again, that much rage, times. that many stabbings, I would think that your hand had to slip and cut yourself. You're in zero control at that point. Mm-hmm. You were in zero control. <laughs> yeah, I just, it's. I'm like rubbing my forehead right now because I cannot wrap my mind around that. So our only hope is to possibly track down whichever department has this case and has the evidence on this case and ask for DNA testing. Mm -hmm. So really, in all fairness, the one thing that we would ask the public... And that's hopefully that they've preserved the shirt. But as we go forward, we're asking the public... If you don't feel like 
contacting us on our Facebook page, which is Bodies in the Bayous at Facebook, um, and maybe send us an email at Bodies in Bayous at hotmail.com. And um, if you know where this case resides, because we have not been able to locate that at this time, but we'll continue to search. Hopefully, we'll continue to bring you some updates and uh, and see what we can find out. But this one to us, to me at least, if there's anything out there, this case has the greatest chance of any of them of having some sort of DNA evidence. Right. And it's important when we say, you know, if you can find out what precinct it is, because it's it has to be specifically where it was picked up. It cannot be counties. It's right. not Harris County. So Harris County is a huge county, but it's not all Houston. Yeah, that's what we found with trying to give the mm-hmm. trying to find information right now is that, you know, we've we put out a ton of requests. Um and, and when, when they, they kick it back, most of the time they kick back and say where to go through. This is not one of those. Right. So, and it's sad to say, but this seems like one of those cases that have been forgotten about. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. So, because there's not much there to find with that kind of brutality, I, I don't know. So Kimberly Pitchford was a typical 16 year old girl. She was a Pasadena high school student. She had red hair and braces. Um, And on January 3rd, 1973, she was extremely excited to be taking her first driver's ed class. And, you know, kids who are 16 are are very excited about being able to drive for the first time. And so that was Kimberly's focus. Um, She had gotten detention and so she had to stay after school. And so she stayed after school until uh, close at 5 p.m. But then she showed up on time for her driver's ed class. She was dressed in a new black winter coat and um, she left right after class. She was seen after class in the parking lot and just disappeared from the parking lot. Nobody sees her after that. She was supposed to call her father and get a ride home when the class was done. They lived about three miles away. So that would have been very typical, you know, call me when class is done and then I'll drive over and pick you up because when you're driving only three miles, what's that going to take you like five minutes, minutes, maybe 10. Um, But she never called. And so when she didn't call, her father and her sister went out looking for her and they spent, they looked for her until the wee hours of the night trying to find her and never located her at all. They did call the police and report her missing. Um, it was two days later on January 5th that uh, two Angelton boys um, were, they had remembered seeing something when they were on their way to, I believe, on their way to school the day before. And um, so they decided that they would go back and check it out. And um, so they went back to this field and they noticed that hanging on a fence post was a black coat, which they thought was strange. 
when they got there, um, they were near um, the water. And so they walked over and saw that there was a body in the water that was hung up on the bridge. The body was half in out of half in the water and half out of the water. There was a pretty strong current that was going by. So they immediately ran home and called law enforcement. Um, the law enforcement pulled her out. She was still dressed in a red and blue dress when they pulled her out of the water. They did notice that her shoes were missing. It was later discovered that her, her uh, watch was also missing. And then of course they did manage to recover her black coat that was hanging on the fence post. So she's found in a body of water near Angleton and that body of water would have been about 30 minutes from home. She had been strangled with a rope, which was used as a ligature of some sort around her neck. And that was her manner of death was uh, strangulation. At the time, law enforcement said that they did not believe that she had been sexually assaulted. Uh, later articles claim that they do believe that sexual assault was probably the motive. So I don't know if, if what they're saying there is that they believe that sexual assault was the motive, but maybe it didn't happen. Um, or that they later discovered some evidence of sexual assault um, as the body went through autopsy. And really, her case remains pretty cold from, from the very beginning. You know, her parents offer a reward, um, but there is, there is no, nothing that comes forward here. Right. And, well, and I think when the two boys that found her body, they had seen the coat the day before, right? Yes. So they were walking in those woods, I think, just after school maybe or something right. like that, right? So then when I think news kind of broke and people started talking, it kind of registered to them. I saw, we saw this coat. They went back to investigate. I think mm -hmm. at that point is when they did discover the body. Um, yeah, and, and so what we can say about that is she goes missing on January 3rd. Um, so we're looking at she's at the driver's ed class roughly shortly after 5 o'clock. So the driver's ed class, um, she gets out of the driver's ed class. We're believing early evening between either 6 or 7 o'clock in the evening. And that's the last time that she's seen and then the coat is seen on the 4th. So from that information, we can pretty much say that either she was put into that area on the night of the 3rd. So she was killed probably on the night of the 3rd and put into that area. And then they see the coat the next day. Right. Um, but that she had probably been there that whole time. You know, I do find it odd, though. The one thing I've always found odd about her is the coat being on a fence post. Right. You know, it's it's almost like she um, maybe she knew the person or or you know, hey, let's go for a walk. She takes her jacket. I don't know. That's just such a weird thing because it would have been new to her, right? We know what's new, yeah. so it's almost like I don't want to get my coat dirty. My guess is that it was a Christmas gift, yeah, right? You know, because I we're talking too. about January third, um, and they are talking about the coat being new. So, um, yeah, I mean. You can, you can see how it would be important to her to hang it there, but you can also say that, you know, this is a very typical teenage girl, and I just, I have a hard time. So they do say early on that she was not known to hitchhike. Mm -hmm. So that, that part we do know. 
But if she was going to go somewhere with friends or do something with friends, I just think maybe she would have called home and told somebody or I definitely think so too. Or I think if her friends and then went for a walk, I think somebody would have came forward and say, Oh, you know what? We did take a small walk, Uh but you're not taking a small walk to Angleton from Pasadena. Right. Right. That's the weird thing, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not, you can't really say that. Right. She's 30 minutes from home. Unless, unless, I mean, and I also thought this, unless the killer puts it up there thinking I'm going to use it to wrap her in later or something like that, that could be the other possibility. But that, the coat being on a fence post has always struck me as something odd. Do you think it's possible that the killer wanted her body to be found? Maybe. What is that? That's remorse. That, that that's remorse than somebody that maybe she knew. So, yeah. So if you're thinking that the killer would have wanted her body to be found, um, then you have to say that that's probably somebody that she knew. Right. Because, I mean, that, that's remorse. What we do know about her is that she did have a boyfriend, that um, she was very upset that day over um, the boyfriend being arrested. Um, and um, so she she's upset. She's kind of crying about that. I don't know if that's kind of what led to the detention that day or if it was some other incident, but we know that 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 kind of went on. We also know that he was cleared, you know, that right, he, right. it's not like he went out and got her. And I, I, I don't have the article right here in front of me, but as I, as I remember from reading that article, it was something about, um, I think maybe like he was in the military and he had gone AWOL or he was late showing back up or something like that. It wasn't like. Could make sense. They're yeah. coming off Christmas break at this right. point. Because we looked this up because I'm like, January 3rd, were they even in school? Because I don't know if they start school right. I mean, you know, New Year's yeah. is, a, is a holiday still. That's the first. So mm-hmm. you go to school and get detention the very first day you come back. Or is it, I mean, and this happened, they get it at the end mm-hmm. of, you know, break and then they have, I don't know. It just is a very weird sort of series of events there but but unfortunately you know we know very little yeah. about about you know who else saw her that day you know they were questioned by police um and the instructor of the driver's ed class you know she wasn't there when he left I think we got that out of one article right, too, one because article. there wasn't anybody waiting around. No, there wasn't a, so. from from what we got. There, you know, when the driver's ed person leaves the leaves the area, it's not like there's somebody standing there waiting for a ride. You know, and and so I have kind of wondered about that too, because you know they do say that she calls her dad. You know that she was to call her dad to get home, so she would have used the phone at that location and and called her father. Now you can say if she was going to go off with friends, she would have, you know, called or let somebody at home know or let her sister know. Now there's always the possibility that she tried to call and maybe somebody didn't pick up or maybe the call didn't go through or um, maybe other people were using the phone. And so she was getting ready to call and another friend said to her, Hey, I'll give you a ride home. You know, you can see how that scenario would work where she could possibly get a ride home from somebody and think, oh, it's not a big deal because I live like three minutes away. So by the time I get home, I can say to my dad, hey, I happened to get a ride home. I couldn't use the phone or or something, you know. So you can see how that ha- happens. But to think that she just kind of, you know, went for a walk with friends or went to hang out with friends. Once she gets to the point where she's that far away, you know, once you get to that point where you're 
past the three miles of your right. home, I think that you're going to be, you know, like, where are we going? Well, yeah, but even the kids that were in classes, nobody comes forward and says, hey, I gave her a ride. I dropped her off here. Nobody ever comes Right, unless the person that. who gave her the ride was the killer. Exactly. Right. So, and, you know, we just. And, I mean, I would think if good police work, you know, they would have talked to these people in class with her. Well, I think I honestly, I think they did, you know, and because one of the things that that is talked about is in those articles, they talked about that there are no leads in this investigation, that they've really, you know, looked into all of it, um, tried to figure out what was going on in in her life. They didn't you know, as, as her body is found, they're not saying anything about her being a runaway. So whether or not they expected her thought that she was a runaway for those four short 48 hours, we don't know, but you know, once her body is found, they don't suspect her to be a runaway and they do start to tie her to the 1971 killings they that do. we're talking about well, very early on. They're starting to say, that she's probably part of that series. Well, yeah, and even if you're giving it that 48 hours, she's found within that time that time frame. Right. So, I mean, that's kind of a crapshoot at that point to think that she's a runaway. And, you know, and when we mentioned, you know, she wasn't known to hitchhike, I think some of that might have come from what had happened with the other girls that we've discussed already. You know, they were hitchhiking, you know, and getting abducted and killed. So maybe there was that alert of, like, don't take rides. I don't know. I honestly, I think that as a parent, as, as they were parents back then, you know, um, I can't imagine that parents weren't reading the newspapers and saying to their kids, don't get in a ride with a stranger. Look at what has happened to these girls. Mm -hmm. Because when you look at the ages um, of these girls, this would be the same ages of your children at home. I mean, Kimberly had a sister, you know, and Kimberly was 16. So when you're talking about everything that's going on, you know, two years earlier, she would have been 14. Right. So she's roughly around the same Same age age as all of these girls, you know, we have Colette who's 14, Brenda who's 14, Rhonda who's 14, Sharon who's 13, uh, Allison Craven who's 12, and then the um, Ackermans and um, Johnson who are 15. So I I think it's, it's just that her parents would have said to her, don't take a ride. Yeah. So to me, I think that it's a possibility of uh, two different things. Either she knew who she was taking a ride from or she became overpowered and and forced into some type of vehicle. And you have to say that she ended up in a vehicle because you can't you can't be in Pasadena and then all the way into Angleton. They didn't walk there. No, they didn't walk so, there. Um, and even though you know the article says thirty minutes, and that's driving, it's probably longer than that. Right from Pasadena, it's probably longer than that. And then one of the things that even though she strangled and that's the manner of the death, manner of death for her, you still can't rule out the possibility that whoever abducted her did not have a gun. Right. Um, I mean, that would be scary enough for me to be maybe getting in somebody's car though, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, scared to death, you know? Yeah. So literally. All right. Well, unfortunately that's about all that we have on, on Kimberly and her case goes cold um, pretty much immediately. I mean, in in roughly a very short period of time. So I wonder if she was killed somewhere else and dumped there. 
not a lot of reports of that either, but there wasn't a lot at the scene. No, there's not a whole lot at the scene. You don't, um, well, and I think that you kind of almost have to think that because, um, her shoes are not discovered at the Mm -hmm. scene. Her watch is not discovered at the scene. Yes, her coat is discovered at the scene, but it's hung on the on the post. So, you know, it could have been taken off earlier and then later brought out and hung hung on the post there. Um, the coat thing is always just one of those things that sticks out to mm-hmm. me. Like, there's more to the coat. Yeah. Well, and, you know, one of the other things that we do have to say about this, though, is she's taken an awful far away from the area where she was last seen. And... You, I still think you kind of have to say that probably somebody who knew the area because there are other areas. If you're, if you're looking for that quick, you know, where do I take this girl and, and do something to her? There are many areas right within the, in the short, um, five, 10 minutes from there to take her to rather than go all the way that far. Well, sure. So, I mean, yeah. Because there's that field that they're passing, you know, where Allison was. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, there was other places. <laughs> I don't know. It's just such a mystery. So, it's quite the mystery that so many of these cases have gone unsolved for so long. And that it's very difficult to find any little information out about them. But it's so frustratingly sad because when you look at the ages of these victims when we're talking about 16 15 14 12 year old children this shouldn't be it shouldn't be that way you know i just truly believe that we should fight until we find some answers and to have so many of them in one place just have to get to a point where we start to say you know these need to be solved or somebody needs to be working on them I understand that we can't have a task force of all the officers in all of these different communities but I just It feels like something should happen and now's the time for that to happen. I don't, I don't know who we talk to. I don't know who we write. I don't know, you know, what exactly we do. And I think certainly both of us feel like if there's information our listeners have out there that they think would help, you know, that maybe some sort of movement or writing somebody or, you know, contacting these different police departments, please let us know. Because I think that's where we're at. When we look at this, when we continue to look at this and move forward and you end up on a police page where they're asking for information on a case that's unsolved for a 15 year old girl. And there's three sentences. I just think we have to say there has to be more. There has to be more. I mean, I would think there has to be more. I mean, maybe it wasn't put in the public's eye, but there has to be more. There has to be more. Well, and I just, I kind of wonder, what are you holding back now? You know, um, what what are you holding back now? So I don't, I don't know if they're necessarily holding anything back. It's just, 
can we move forward? And, you know. and maybe we can't, but somebody has to be looking at these cases. So, and, you know, we talked a couple of times about A&E and a couple other documentaries and stuff like that. And I have to applaud them. Thank goodness what we have that out there because at least it's not being forgotten. Right. I mean, so, somebody's, you know. Somebody's at least talking about yeah, it. They're talking about so, it. So, you know, and, and we hope that that's what this podcast does too. And let me just touch on that real quick. And I know we have to end uh, for today, but the only th thing I might say about the A&E specials and that is they only focus on the popular ones, the ones that got the most coverage and some of that. So when we talk about some of these girls that we have found, they didn't get as much limelight. Right. And that to me is what is said. And it may simply just be because there was nothing for them to grasp at to bring it into a show of that magnitude, magnitude yeah. you know. So, I mean, that's the only thing that makes it just a little sad. And our, our podcast is so different. Mm -hmm. from well, I think, you know, it's one, we don't have any sponsors. So we do, you know, the only, the only people we answer to, we talked about this earlier today is ourselves right now. So it's a little bit easier for us because we're not getting paid to do this. You know, we're, um, you know, we still have to keep our day jobs. So, right. so a little bit, and that's, that's why, you know, some of this becomes hard with the research is because, you know, we, we do have that, but at the same time, when we look at something like this, where we don't have any information, we still are able to bring that forward because our episodes don't have to be a certain length or we don't have to produce a certain amount of them or something like that. So maybe it is a little bit easier for us. I think so. I mean, we did talk about that. It was like, it's almost easier not to. Yeah. So where are we going? So um, our next episode will be covering Brooks Bracewell and Georgina Gear. Um, we'll be bringing you their unfortunate stories in our next episode. And, you know, we just wanted to thank you guys for listening to us. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. Thank you.